episode of Attitude Check is brought to you by Altus Professionals. In the business world, first impressions matter. That's why you want to make sure that you're ready when you meet that person who's going to help take you to the next level. They're going to mentor you, help start your company. You want to make sure your style game is on point so you make the right first impression. So if you're in the market for stylish yet affordable men's professional accessories, I'm talking sunglasses, watches, tie clips, ties, dress socks, you name it, head to altus-professionals, that's A-L-T-U-S-professionals.myshopify.com and make sure you use the promo code ATTITUDE10 for 10% off your entire purchase. They're already really affordable, but make sure you use that promo code to get that extra 10% off. Again, that's altus-professionals.myshopify.com, promo code ATTITUDE10. Make sure you check them out, folks. In today's world, it's critical to have a beautiful custom design website to take your business to the next level. So if you're a small business in Colorado, and if you need a website that stands out, check out Pikes Peak Web Design. Pikes Peak Web Design is the easiest way to get an amazing website designed for your business. Don't worry about the hassle of creating it yourself. Work with a team of local experts who's going to walk you through each step of the website design process and make things nice and simple for you. They built our website. Let them build yours. Check them out at pikespeakwebdesign.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Attitude Check. Today we have Lawrence Wagner as a guest. Before we dive into the episode, Brent, what is something that you've been thinking about? Something I've been thinking about recently is a little motivational video clip I heard from David Goggins. And if you're not familiar with David Goggins, um, check out his Instagram page. It's it's pretty motivational. He's an ex-Navy SEAL. He's done ultra marathons where he's run hundreds of miles in one go. And it's just a really great page because he'll just have a camera on him and he's running outside and it's the middle of the day, like 100 degrees outside and he's telling you why you should be out running and not to give up. But the motivational video or the segment that he talks about is called the cookie jar. And the cookie jar is basically something that he, when he needs to dig deep and when he needs to pull through, he just has this cookie jar that's filled with all of these times in life where he's overcome some obstacle or accomplished something great. So when you're in the rough of it, when you're suffering, when it's hard going and you feel like quitting, just pull something out of the cookie jar to remind yourself that you've overcome things before. And this is just another one of those things that you'll add to the cookie jar. I like that because it's so easy in those seasons to not think about the end goal and not think about how far you've come. Just think about how difficult it is right now. But pulling from that cookie jar, I like that. It's a good analogy. Absolutely. And no matter how tough you are in those moments, right when you're in the thick of it, you sometimes forget. And it's good to just take that second to gain that perspective, remind yourself what you are capable of, and keep going. Without further ado, let's jump into this episode with Lawrence Wagner. Endeavor to challenge yourself every single day. Engage with your community. Effect change and produce impact. I'm John Mark Radspinner. And I'm Brent Sabati. And this is the Attitude Check Business Leadership Podcast. We have the conversations that young professionals should be having but aren't. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Attitude Check. Today we have Lawrence Wagner. Lawrence is the CEO and co-founder of Spark Mindset. And Lawrence, we always like to start off with an icebreaker question. So if you were stuck on a plane for 14 hours and you could sit next to one celebrity, who would it be and why? Jay-Z. 
um, because I would want to learn how you went from drug dealer to mogul and all the steps and the mindset that it took for him to reach the level that he is now when he's just created a, a deal with the NFL. Jay-Z, that's a, that's a good answer. Not, you know, not just your kind of typical who's on the headlines now. Yeah. So I'm assuming you're a fan of Jay-Z, the musician, not just Jay-Z, the business person? Yes, I've been a fan of Jay-Z, the musician, since he first started rapping. What's your top three songs from Jay-Z? Dead Presidents, um, The Blackout. It was just a week ago. Good choices. I like it. I always like the, the underdog stories of the people who come from like a dark place and get to somewhere amazing. So it's cool. It, it would be cool hearing about that story of how did you get to this place, to this place. And just hearing about that power couple relationship with him and Beyonce would be a whole nother conversation. You might need another 14 hours for that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so Lawrence, tell us a little bit about your story. How did you get to where you're at? Um, so I am from the projects of Cleveland. I would say by the eighth grade, my mom had moved me to a different school system in a different neighborhood, still kind of in a popish neighborhood, but it allowed me to go to one of the best schools in Cleveland, it's Cleveland suburbs. Um, and from there, I joined the Army. So I, I spent eight years in the Army. I did the first Gulf War, um, got out, kind of floundered for three years. And then I, in 1999, I took a risk on an internship. I thought the internship was free, and so did everyone in my class. So no one actually like applied for it but me. And the internship um, turned out to make pay me more than the factory job that I was working. Hmm. Um, and so that's how I got into IT, rode IT until I moved back here into 2006. Um, worked at Shriver Air Force from 2007 to 2015, and then started Spark. And 2016. So explain a little bit more about what Spark Mindset is. So Spark Mindset, we're creating a bridge for low-income high school students um, to cybersecurity careers. And so we do that using virtual reality, um, some project-based learning. Um, and we do it in a way that encourage um, learning, increase confidence in people with low income who've maybe never thought that they can get into a career field like cybersecurity uh, and so we make those concepts really easy for them to understand. And then we prepare them for this industry cert certifications, which is Net Plus and Security Plus, all to get them a job coming out of high school, making 55000 a year. So when you talk about cybersecurity and the way you just phrased how it's great for you know people who are kind of coming out of school or low income and that sort of thing, it almost reminded me of that argument of looking at, you know, trade schools and like specialized schools instead of a classical, you know, four-year university. Do you kind of see similarities there? And do you think it's become becoming more and more of a viable option for, you know, today's youth and kids growing up to move more into just a specialized field instead of going to, you know, traditional four-year college? Yes, I would say the IT field in general is becoming the next vocational school Kids can get jobs in coding, cybersecurity, um, web design, and do those coming right out of high school. And by doing so, it allows the kid to mature enough to want to go to college and then know what they're going to college for. 
have some way for their either their company or for them to pay for college and not get into a bunch of debt trying to figure out what they want to do when they grow up. Um, I went to college probably 10 years after I got out of the military. I knew exactly what I wanted to go to college for. I went to college, got my bachelor's degree. Two weeks later, started my master's degree because I knew I was very focused. But if I went to college coming out of high school, I would have flunked out. And I knew that, so I joined the Army. (laughs) (laughs) Well, credit to you for knowing that and not making that decision. So with cybersecurity and the different certifications you mentioned, for someone who's, let's say, in high school right now, what's the current barriers to entry to learn about cybersecurity as a potential career and to get those certifications? One, I would say a lack of knowledge. So most people, when you mention cybersecurity, they don't understand what that is. And then when you say hacking, it's like, oh, but hacking is a fraction of what cybersecurity is. So, and then I would say a lack of access and opportunity. So in low income um, schools, so a lot of times there are not the teachers or the resources to teach cybersecurity in those communities. By time they're getting into high school, by time it's 11th grade, 10th grade, you know, they're so far behind and they are very thought about other paths that cybersecurity is really not in the forefront of their minds. Are there free resources out there for people who, you know, may not have access to kind of formal education on cybersecurity, but if they're, you know, self-starters, so to say, and they want to kind of see what's out there and explore a little bit more, what would you recommend for those people? There's not really a lot of free resources in that field. And so that's another thing about the barriers. There really are not many high schools that actually teaches cybersecurity. So really most students don't even learn or get access to that until they go to college. That's actually really interesting because you feel like public schools nowadays, they're starting to pick up on the trend of technology and teaching kids about coding and that sort of thing. But cybersecurity, I feel like is a very new segment of that, that you've only been seeing in the past I don't know, year or so. I'm, I'm not in the industry, so I'm not super familiar with the timeline, but do you see it kind of growing and picking up as technology becomes more and more of a key part of you know everything in society? Yes. Um, cybersecurity will continue to grow, so we have to figure out ways to empower the workforce. Um, there will be 3.5 million unfilled jobs by 2021. Is so, that nationally or internationally? That's a national. That's local. That's a significant. Um, and yeah, so you, there is not enough talent for the jobs that's opening. Right now in Colorado, there is 40,000 open cybersecurity jobs. That's mind-blowing. <laughs> and those jobs are really good paying, too. Yes. Great paying. Um, I remember reading an article about a CTO, chief technical officer, how five years ago his salary was 650000 and now, same time or same job five years later is over five million. So, with a a degree in cybersecurity, your average pay can be up to ninety two thousand dollars starting out. Starting out, that's entry level. Yeah, wow. uh, it's with, more than engineers. Without <laughs> a degree, fifty five thousand fifty five thousand dollars if you have the certifications. Are the certifications difficult to get? Like, what is the barrier for entry on those? So they, they are very, 
there are hard certifications. Um, and so, again, I think the barrier of entry is um, the resources, because if you can study for it and you can actually be able to touch the equipment and go through and learn it, um, that's the hardest part. So that's why we do it in virtual reality. So kids can actually be immersive and interact with the, the processes and the, and the concepts of cybersecurity and actually retain that information than someone teaching you it because it, it's pretty boring. Like if someone's just giving you a lecture, cybersecurity is not like the sexiest career field. It'll put you to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) It will put you to sleep. (laughs) Tell us a little bit more about how you conceptualized Spark Mindset. So you mentioned that you had about a year or so gap between your last real job, I guess you could say, and then starting Spark Mindset. So it was really a month. It was a month gap. So Okay. um, And when we first started spark mindset it was really for soft skills you know i was like i'm gonna help so i wanted to help people that were in impoverished neighborhoods that i came from i felt like there was a bunch of these leadership and soft skills that i was getting that the people who needed most didn't have access to them and so i was like how can i get these soft skills like critical thinking and growth mindset to to people in, in low-income communities and then realized two things the market was oversaturated and then two if they don't have a skill adding soft skills kind of doesn't help them like get out of their situation because they don't have a technical skill so i don't have a technical skill and i teach you soft skills you still may be working at like starbucks or mcdonald's or some minimal wage job and so that is not enough to break that cycle of poverty Hmm. in those lives we pivoted in 2000 and the end of 2016 is when I first came up with the virtual reality ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked with local, a local company, C-Track. Um, and we worked with University of Maryland and we went after and a couple of other companies when we went after a grant and we didn't get it. And then I just kept trying, kept going after it. And then Denver Public Schools Imaginarium, they, a design thinking, a design sprint. So I don't know if you know about design thinking, but they had like a sprint around that. We were one of the winners and they gave us $10,000. And that was the first, I have a legitimate idea. And I started moving from that point on. That's awesome. So it was difficult to even get to that point of, we actually have an idea. Let's move forward with it. Yes. I mean, that was really hard. Um, And that's the biggest thing about entrepreneurship is you have an ideal and a thought process that you believe that can help people. But until you can actually create something for people can see and touch or if, you know, you can start getting money, you're still putting this ideal out there, but you're not getting any income because no one's going to give you a bunch of money for an ideal you you have to have the determination to keep telling people about your idea until you find the right group that says, okay, we're going to cut you a check. So as you kind of move through the different phases of Spark Mindset, mm-hmm. was it hard for you to make that transition in the overall mission of the company going from, you know, we're going to teach you these soft skills to we're going to move to more of a, like a technical school? Because I feel with a lot of engineers, or not engineers, but entrepreneurs, They'll start off with an idea, and that idea is their baby, and making any changes to the original idea can be hard for people because they put a lot of time, this is their dream, this is their vision, and changing that almost feels like betraying that original idea. So was that an easy 
logical transition for you or did it take some time to actually work through that? I would say it took some time. Um, and it wasn't working through it. It was the, I went through the phases of soft skills. So I went from, I want to teach soft skills to I want to teach diversity, equity, and inclusion um, training. So it, it went from that side. And then while I was doing that, I was also still building the virtual reality game. And so it was like, at some point I was like, I can't do both. Um, and so letting one go was was hard because I'm I'm passionate about diversity um, and inclusion um, and equity, but I'm also passionate about the VR and how it can help these these kids. And so having to pick one was hard. So so far you're still kind of getting the systems in place and getting it ready to like truly fully launch. So what are some of the impacts that you're seeing as you kind of go into schools and prototype it and test it out? The interest. The student engagement, the wow, I've never known this was out there, uh, and the both watching both girls and boys actually want to try this out. Um, when we tested it in New Orleans, there was 10 kids that they selected, pretty much randomly selected, and out of those 10, five said, hey, if you run this program, we'll want to do it again. And seven out of 10 were on path to pass the Security Plus certification. So those were like really encouraging numbers. We're running, a, so that was our pilot. Now we're about to run our beta. And so now our, our beta will have 15 kids. Um, and then the, at the end of this, they will actually go take um, the Net Plus certification. So excited about that. A little nervous about it too, <laughs> because those tests in Net Plus and Security Plus are hard for adults. So they have like low rating for adults. And I'm like, but these high school students are going to be able to pass this. So <laughs> Honestly, though, sometimes when you're in high school, you can learn a lot easier than when you're an adult. At least I'm finding that now. You're still on that down. learning mindset to, to absorb information, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and if you change it up, right, so you don't make it like the traditional, hey, I'm just going to sit up there and lecture you. You know, you do, there's some lecture, but the rest of it is interactive. So you have them, you let them take ownership. So you give them projects and you give them like group projects and you give them like writing assignments and you let them research stuff. You watch movies around cybersecurity. So you do all these things that's just not... I'm sitting up in front of you and I'm going to lecture you for an hour and then I'm going to give you the test. Like the majority of people do not learn that way. Mm -hmm. The majority of people are visual learners or they have to work with their hands. And so providing them with tools to do that, I think they're going to pass and have greater chances of success. So moving into schools and kind of beta testing everything, mm -hmm. um, kind of a couple questions here. Do you find that one, there's a certain like demographic of students that find this subject interesting, or do you see it kind of across the board within the entire student population? And two, you know, this VR style of learning, interactive, very, you know, hands-on, honestly, yeah, I, I wish I had that going. I think everyone wishes they had that going through school. Do you see that model being applied to other, like, you know, standard core subjects, or do you see it being specifically for more of these um, you know, highly specialized fields? Um, so I'm going to go to the second question first. It could be for more standardized testing. The A lot of people like to use it for history because now mm -hmm. kids can go back and see 
the things in history. They can see the Coliseum. They can see places that they've never been. And it allows them to be interested in other areas um, of the country because now I can see it and I can touch it and I can experience it in virtual reality. So for history, it's really good. For like traditional math and, and reading and things like that, no. I don't ever see like cybersecurity taking, I mean, virtual reality taking that place. For a lot of the more technical fields, yes. Between that and AI, we still don't know what's going to be here for five years from now. So we haven't even planned. We're trying to wait before we even think of what subject we're going to do next to see what's going to be here three years from now. And so that way, we know that's going to be here five years from now. The reason we picked cybersecurity, it was the fastest growing STEM career field. And I knew that it was going to be here five years from now. I didn't want to pick something, get kids all excited. And then that job's been replaced by AI or some robot or something like that. And now they have to start all over again. I mean, that totally makes sense. They, What's the saying now that the... You know, jobs that the kids today are going to have aren't even invented yet. So trying to get ahead of that curve is definitely, you know, important. I think the people who go through your program and kind of get that idea and that, you know, know, mindset basically is going to put them ahead. Yeah. I mean, look, it wasn't even social media jobs, what, six years ago, Mm -hmm. right? So now there's people who are like making, have social media companies here in Colorado Springs, uh, have created social marketing um, companies, and it wasn't even around five years ago. So we're that's the digital age is really going to take off um, even more with things like IoT, um, the Internet of Things, and so we're going to take off. It's going to be all these digital and, and technology jobs, and so if you don't hop on now, right, that gap of of low income and um, those who have money is going to continue to grow. So kind of going on along those lines of thought, what is the most exciting field or part of either cybersecurity or the whole technological industry that you see, you know, coming up in the next five, 10 years? What do you think, you know, if you're a young person now, what should you be paying attention to? Um, wow, that's a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> I would say machine learning, AI, anything with data analytics, data is going to be the new currency, right? So data is king. You either have data or you don't. If you don't have data, then people are not going to believe that you actually are producing something that's real. And so if you can take, because AI depends on data. So when people think about AI, I'm like, I'm going to create AI. And I'm like, do you have any data? So look, because AI has to learn from something. So you have to be able to collect the data for AI to learn it. And so I think those two are going to be huge. And that's going to really revolutionize the um, digital industry besides cybersecurity. Because <laughs> now you're going to have to protect the data. And so that, that literally just kind of blew up my brain when you just said, if you don't have data, how are you going to know if it's real? <laughs> like people don't think about that nowadays, but it, it's so true with, you know, you see so many things like deep fakes where you can make it seem like anybody is saying whatever you want them to say. And yeah, if you don't have the, the hard 
numbers and data behind it, you know, what do you, what do you believe in? So Lawrence, as the CEO and, and co-founder, what are some of the leadership challenges that you face and how have you overcome them? Some of the biggest ones anyway. So before I started Spark, I sucked as a leader. I was an awful leader. <laughs> and so uh, I read a bunch of books. I, I listened to a bunch of podcasts. I got mentors. Um, and so that ever-growing, how do you... So when I say a leader, is how do you empower someone else to actually lead? So we always think about leadership and we're saying, we're going to tell someone what to do. I'm like, no, I'm going to empower you because if I empower you to be able to do the work, then now that work, you love it. You're thinking about ways that I have never thought of because we most, you want to hire people who think differently from you. Mm -hmm. And so being a leader is really giving people the space to be themselves and actually take ownership of what they're doing, whatever job that is. And I think the hardest part of that is letting go, right? So, you know, you always think you have the best way to do something, right? And especially when it's your baby and you're early and you say so it's hard to let people actually like take pieces of the baby and change the direction, right? So an example is we have two games that we've developed so far. And so they're developing the third game. I had a specific way on how I wanted the game spilled, both of them. Both times, my CTO and my high school interns was like, this sucks. We're going to create this to accomplish what you wanted to do. Both times, I was like, okay, because y'all are younger and y'all are gamers and y'all know more than me. But I literally had a specific way on how I wanted to design. And to you know empower them to change that was was huge. Uh, it was the right thing to do. It was It was great. Um, but again, in the same past, it's hard when you're, you know, you've been the one kind of carrying it for so long. You got to let go. Yeah. yeah. You have to let go. And a lot of CEOs or nonprofit founders, they don't let go. Right. So they want to hold on. They want to micromanage. They want to have their hands in everything. And, and normally that either kills the company or it causes people to leave. So who are the biggest or I guess what resources were the biggest influences on that development of your leadership skills? So I read a lot of John Maxwell books, Jim Collins, how to, how, um, who is it? Dale Carnegie. There, how to win friends <laughs> and influence people. It's like one of my greatest books. Um, Simon Sinek, start with why, um, leaders eat last. I'm an avid reader. So I read things like grit by Angela Duckworth. Um, I read um, Presence by Amy Cuddy. So I read not only leadership books, but I read books that talk, Brene Brown that talks about like the social emotional side of being a leader. So it's not just like be a leader, but it's like how to listen, how to empathize. Like those are just important. And I, I think people forget about that, that side, right? They're always like, I'm going to lead. I want to charge, but like, how to read people, how to interact with people, how to listen, how to empathize. We don't talk about those things as much, but they're just as important. Do you see yourself now that you're focusing more on the technical side of learning and using VR, do you still find yourself kind of being tied to all of those softer skills and slowly incorporating that into what you're um, you know, exposing you know, the students to? Yes. So we believe that we want to create holistic students. And so... We interact, intertwine soft skills into our lessons, into our 
there's three lessons. So there's the technical side. There's going to be the soft skill side, professional develop, workforce development side, and then it's the financial side. And so we want a whole person. I, I want to prepare you to actually be able to go to a job and work with other people. I want you to have the skills to work with other people. And then I want you to manage your money. So they don't want, you've been impoverished, right? Now you've made, you're getting a job and it's at 55000 a year. You've never made a lot of money. What I don't want you to do, go do is go buy the fancy car and go spend all the money on the on the Air Jordans or the new LeBrons, right? Like, I want you, the, the moment you get that job, to know how to manage that money. I want you to know about investing. I want you to know about you know, savings and and not just like putting money in the bank, but where to put the money in the bank, how to, you know, maybe invest in in a small business or um, invest in buying a house. I want you to have some of that knowledge coming out and we're not going to create that ourselves. So um, we are in partnerships with a junior achievement in New Orleans to to bring that financial side into our um, program. Yeah, that's awesome. Like kind of three pillars right there that, you know, whether you're in the program or not, I think every young person should really take a look at that, you know, technical, soft skills, financial. It's like if you start building those up, it's kind of hard to, well, I shouldn't say hard to go wrong, but it makes things a lot easier moving forward. And you also have to realize like those soft skills, like growth mindset and grit, like because something's going to go wrong. Right. Those financial skills is like you're going to have a rainy day. So did you put money away? Because it's coming. So you have to have that like money set aside. Right. Mm-hmm. So being able to teach kids to like critical think. And so when situations come, like either they've prepared for it or they they know a way to maneuver through that. And they have the, the grit and the wherewithal to continue to move when things get hard, because it's not if they're going to get hard is they're going to get hard. Jumping around here, when you first told us about your story, you mentioned how you kind of took a risk and took this internship that you thought was unpaid at the time. A lot of people who are young adults or in college, they'll pass up those types of opportunities because they're, you know, it's in all fairness, they need to make, you know, ends meet to pay for bills or to pay for school or college or whatever it may be. What was your mindset going into that decision? And what do you, what can you speak on as far as, you know, taking risk and going after opportunities? I didn't want to continue to work at a plant for the rest of my life. (laughs) And so it was either take that risk and learn a new skill or I've been stuck at the plant for the rest of my life. And And I, when I was thinking five years, I was like, do I want to, is this where I want to be at? Right? And so a lot of people, when they make decisions, they make a lot of decisions on based on where they're at right now, not where they want to be five years from now. So let me take, give you an example. So a person takes a job, and this job, they don't like it. They don't see it as part of their career, but they spend three years in that job. And I'm like, so you spent three years in this job, but you knew for those three years you wanted to do something else. So I was like, then why did you waste three years of your life, right? Why didn't you take the risk to go get a job that was in that field that may have paid a little bit less, but you would be further along three years from now? Mm-hmm. So people don't make decisions based on where they want to be. They make decisions based on their circumstances right now. And they always think, I can do this, you know, another time. And then five years has passed 
and they have they're still where they were at because they was like I can do this in two years or I can do this in three years and then three years come and they're still in the same place because they never took that step. We're going to transition into our bullet questions. So okay. recommend one book. Start with why. Start with why by Simon Sinek is really good. Yes. I enjoyed that one. Because um, why are you doing anything? What is you know? And that why may change, but you should always be able to wake up and be like this is why I'm I'm waking up and this is the why I'm moving forward each day. We recommend one resource that's helpful for you in everyday life. Meditation, prayer. For me, it's prayer. For some people, it's meditation. But to really quiet your mind and, you know, center yourself around something that's greater than you is, is super important. Well, Lawrence, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank uh, you. Share one parting piece of guidance, the best way to connect with you, and then we'll say goodbye. Um, so the best way to connect with me is either email at lawrence at sparkmindset.com or connect with me through LinkedIn. This is John Mark. And this is Brent. Signing off. Brent, I really enjoyed this episode with Lawrence. What were some of your thoughts on it? I thought it was really interesting because part of the reason why we started the podcast in the first place was because we thought that the education system that we came from had some areas where it could improve. And I think Lawrence is one of those people who are leading the way to not only new areas of education in cybersecurity, but new methods of teaching and new methods of engaging the students. I love that he's bringing in virtual reality and new technologies into how he educates and that he's developing a workforce that is severely underdeveloped in terms of cybersecurity. I mean, there's what, over 2 million open jobs just in America for cybersecurity? Really, it's the jobs that a lot of the younger generation is going to be moving into. And you're definitely seeing that market supply and demand shift with cybersecurity as a field in general with all of the new technologies coming out and more and more threats coming from that space. Having a good cybersecurity force and a good cybersecurity background is definitely going to be key moving into the future. So I'm really excited to see what Lawrence has in store and how his program develops. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Be sure to check back every first and third Tuesday of the month for a new episode of Attitude Check. And make sure you like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram to stay up to date with all of the new things we're up to. And thank you so much to our listeners that share our episodes on social media. We really appreciate it. And if you like what you're hearing, make sure to leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps and we appreciate the feedback. Thanks so much and we'll catch you next time.